This morning we're going to look at chapter 6, Nehemiah chapter 6. And we said that if you are going to summarize the book of Nehemiah, it could be basically summarized in three different words, building, battling, and becoming. Because on this side of heaven, uh, we will always be building or rebuilding, we will always be battling, and we will always be becoming what God wants us to be. There's not a single person here that has arrived yet. There's not a single person in here that is everything that God wants them to be yet. He's still working on us. He's still making us more and more like Jesus Christ. And so we will always be building, we will always be battling, we will always be becoming. The last three weeks, as we've seen where Nehemiah and God's people are rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, we saw where the enemy keeps coming at them, and he came at them, the enemies have come at them so far with the weapon of disparaging comments, disparagement. And then the enemy came against them with discouragement, trying to discourage God's people from doing the work of the Lord. Then he came at them last week in chapter 5 with the weapon of discord or division. And even though Nehemiah dealt with the issue of division last week, guess what? We're going to see again that the enemy is going to come again with another tactic. And I'm going to say this, listen, if anyone ever tells you it's over, don't believe it. Okay? Don't believe it. Now, that skirmish may be over, but I promise you this. On this side, the enemy will never leave you alone. Okay? Even Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus went to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and even though Jesus overcame the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, and the pride of life. Even though Jesus won those battles, guess what? The Bible says in Luke 4, 13, that when the devil had finished every temptation, he left Jesus until an opportune time. Understand that. And so the devil didn't just say, okay, that's it, I'm done, I'm not going to win this. No, he kept coming after Jesus time and time again, when the moment was right. And it's the same way with us. You may win a victory today and think, okay, that's it, I'm done with it. No, the devil is going to keep coming after you time and time and time again. And so you will always be building or rebuilding and you will always be battling. And so in chapter 6 of Nehemiah, we're going to see where the enemy shows up with some more tactics, and it's the same tactics that the adversary uses against us today. And so let's look at verses 1 and 2 of Nehemiah chapter 6, and we're going to read this. It says, Now when it was reported to Sanballat, Tobiah, to Geshem, the Arab, and to the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall, and that no breach remained in it, although at the time I had not set up the doors in, in the gates, he says, then Sanballat and Geshem, notice these are the enemies, sent a message to me saying, come let us meet together at Shepherim in the plain of Ono. Now what we see here in chapter 6 verse 1 and 2 is another tactic the enemy likes to come against God's people. And I would call this the 
the weapon of distraction, okay? The weapon of distraction. And so the enemy realizes he can't stop the wall from being rebuilt. He can't stop the gates from, from, from being set back in place. And so what the enemy does through Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem is the enemy comes to Nehemiah as he's almost finished with the project and he says this, Nehemiah, why don't you meet with us? We would like to have a meeting so that we can compromise on some issues. Now listen, in other words here, the enemy is, realizes that if Nehemiah comes down from the wall and meets with them, what happens? The work gets stopped. Okay? And so the enemy comes at Nehemiah with distraction, and it's the same way with us today. How many knows... That in our life, the enemy would love nothing more to do than to distract us from Jesus Christ. And I'm going to say this. A distraction, listen up, is anything that gets our attention, our affection, or our allegiance off Jesus. Okay? So a distraction is anything that gets our attention our affection, or our allegiance off Jesus. Now, a distraction may not necessarily be sinful. It can be something that's good in and of itself. If you remember when Jesus was going to the home of Martha and Mary in Luke chapter 10, well, Martha was in the kitchen doing all kinds of work, Right? And there is absolutely nothing wrong with cooking a meal. Right, men? We love when meals get cooked for us. Cooking's not a sin. Martha was doing all kinds of work, and she got upset, and she said, Master, why don't you tell Mary to get up from where she is, because Mary is sitting there listening to Jesus teach, and Martha says, why don't you tell Mary to get in here and help me in the kitchen? And Jesus says to Martha, 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 you are distracted by many things. You are worried about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has found out what is needed, and what she has been given will not be taken away from her. See, what Martha was doing was a good thing. But when Jesus comes to the house, you don't stay in the kitchen cooking. You go into the room where Jesus is because the spiritual is much more important than the physical. It's much more important than the physical. And I heard somebody this past a uh, few weeks ago I was talking to them and I said, you know, we've been missing you. I ain't seen you a while at church. And they said, we are just exhausted. Now my question is this, what is exhausting you? What is so important that you've got to do that you are neglecting 
your spirituality. What is so, you know, how many irons you got to have in the fire that you neglect the most important thing in your life? See, they can be good things, but is it helping you spiritually or is it depleting you spiritually? Because you're not the Energizer Bunny. You can't do everything. You can't be all things to all people. You can't take everything on your plate. There's times in our life when we just simply need to say no to some good things so that we can say yes to the best things. And the best things are spiritual things. See, if you're running around... See, one thing about it is a chicken that has had its neck wrung, it looks busy, right? I mean, it's running around crazy, but just because it's running around crazy, it's still dead. And you can be running around crazy doing all a million different things, but if you don't spend time with the Father, if you don't spend time in His Word, if you don't spend time in worship, it's simply because you have gotten distracted by the enemy. And that's what Sanballat and them tried to do to Nehemiah. They said, won't you quit working and come meet with us? But Nehemiah said, why should I stop doing what God has called me to do and meet with you? What God has called me to do is far more important than any meeting I may have with you. See, we're busy now, right? We're just busy people. And somebody said that busy could be said like this. When you're busy, it's like being under Satan's yoke. Okay? Because the yoke that Jesus gives us is light. It's not stressed out. It's not running to and fro and here and there. And, 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 and trying to keep up with the Joneses and trying to keep up with the things of this world. I, I, I heard a story one time about Hank Aaron, and we know that Hank Aaron, one of the home run kings in baseball, that it said in one time in the World Series, he was up to bat, and Yogi Bear, the catcher of the Yankees, was there catching. And so when Hank Aaron stepped into the batter's box, Yogi Bear kept talking to him, trying to get him distracted. And he would say something like this. He would say, Hank, you're holding the bat wrong. You need to choke up more. He would say, Hank, you need to be able to read the trademark because if you don't read the trademark, you're not going to be able to hit the ball right. And Hank Aaron would not give him any attention. All of a sudden, the pitcher threw the pitch, and Hank Aaron hit the ball over the left field fence. And it was said that as Hank Aaron round third and got to home plate, he told Yogi Bear, he said, Yogi, I didn't come up here to read. He said, I came up here to hit home runs. You understand? A lot of times the enemy can get us so distracted on things that has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. It could be good things. But guess what? Is that what God has called you to do? Let me tell you something. Fathers, the greatest calling you've got on your life it's not to get a big house. It's not to have the best 
a, a six-figure paying job. The greatest calling you've got on your life is to raise your family to serve the Lord. But if you're out running and chasing dreams and you're chasing money, you're chasing all these other things while your kids are dying and going to hell, what have you really gained? What have you really gained? See, so it's so easy for us as God's people to get our eyes off the things of God. See, the writer of Hebrews says it like this, to write to people who are discouraged. He says this in Hebrews 12 and 2. He says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That word fixing means a habitual act that you are constantly Focus on Jesus Christ and nothing else. If you're discouraged today, guess what? There's only one reason. It's because you got your eyes off Jesus and you got your eyes on the problem. You got your eyes on the situation and you've got your eyes off Jesus. Now, I'm not a big horse racing guy. Don't even like to ride horses, but probably if there's a horse race I will watch, it's the Kentucky Derby. I just like to watch the, the people with the hats and that kind of stuff. You know what I'm talking about? It's kind of, I think it's kind of neat. But if you ever watch a horse race, you'll notice in those horse races, they'll put something over that horse's face. It's called blinders. Because did you know this? A horse, their vision can cover up to 350 degrees. Think about that. So 360 will be all the way around you. Right? And a human, if I've, if I've got this right, and I'll, let me get to my notes here. A human, your vision can go about 190 degrees. Okay? So a human, 190 degrees around. A horse, 350 degrees around. And so what do they put on those horses that run the race? They put what they call blinders on there. And those blinders... Keep that horse's vision from being able to see beside them. It can only see what is ahead of them. Because if you don't have those blinders on them, a horse would get spooked by another horse or another rider. And so what they do is they put those blinders on those horses so that horse will just look straight ahead at the finish line. And you know what? It would be good for some of us. If we'd get some tunnel vision about our lives and realize that God didn't call us to do everything. God didn't call us to be in every club. He didn't call us to be in every sport program. He didn't call us to be over everything. Because if we can find time for that kind of stuff, why can't we find time for the things of God? See, we get distracted by good things. And that's what the enemy tries to do to Nehemiah. He says, why don't you come down and just meet with us? And if you'll meet with us, we make him work out a compromise. But listen, what the plan is this. The plan is to get Nehemiah to stop rebuilding the wall. And the devil does the same way with us. A lot of times he'll get our eyes, our focus on something else that takes our eyes off Jesus. And when you get your eyes off Jesus, that's when you get discouraged. That's when you want to give up. And so what, how does Nehemiah combat this? Well, since the enemy comes with him at dis, with distraction, Nehemiah practices what I call discernment. Look at verse 2 and 3 here. So they say to Nehemiah, let's, come, let, let's meet together so that we can work this out. And Nehemiah realizes he has his discernment. He says, but they were planning to harm me. They were simply planning to harm me. 
So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? See, Nehemiah could see through the deception. And guess what? In every single one of us, we need to have discernment so we can know whether something is a friend or whether it is a foe. Because not everybody that says they're for you is for you. They got ulterior motives. And you need to have discernment to whether what you're trying to do is for your good or if it is something that is simply going to lead you astray and lead you away from Christ Jesus. And so with the distraction, Nehemiah practices discernment. Then we go to the, third, the second thing the enemy does. It's what I call disinformation. Look at verse 5 here. Disinformation. In verse 5, when distraction did not work, when Nehemiah said, no, I can't come down. I've got a great work. I've got to finish what God has called me to do. Then the, then the enemy comes back with disinformation. Verse 5 says, Then Sanballat sent his servant to me in the same manner a fifth time with an open letter in his hand. Now, let's think about this from a context point of view here. There's only two ways a letter would be sent. If a king sends a letter to somebody and he wants it private, he would put his seal on it, and nobody could break the seal except the one that was to receive the letter. But if a letter was sent that was open, that would mean that this letter is to be for everybody to see the contents of this letter. And so what does this letter contain? Look what it says, verse 6 and 7. In this letter was written this. It is reported among the nations, and Gashmu says that you and your Jews are planning to rebel. Therefore, you are rebuilding the wall, and you are to be their king according to these reports. And so what the enemy says to Nehemiah is, listen, listen Nehemiah, everyone knows what you're really up to. You're not really trying to rebuild the wall for God's glory. You're trying to rebel against the king and everybody can see through it, Nehemiah. He says in verse 7, You have also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you. A king is in Judah and now it will be reported to the king according to these reports. So come now, let us take counsel together. And so since Nehemiah does not give into distraction, the enemy comes at him with disinformation and what is disinformation it's different from misinformation because misinformation is when somebody tells you something that they don't really know to be true in other words it's not intentional that's misinformation but disinformation is when somebody deliberately tells you something that is not true to try to get you to do something and this is what's going on here the enemy comes at Nehemiah with disinformation saying, everybody knows what you're really trying to do is you're really trying to set up your own kingdom and it's going to be reported to the king. Now, how does Nehemiah combat disinformation? It's the same way he combats distraction. It's again with discernment. Look at verse 8 and 9. Here's what Nehemiah says. Then I sent a message to him saying, such things as you are saying have not been done Look what he says here. He says, but you are inventing them in your own mind. In other words, Nehemiah discerns that what is being told him is not true. It's not really a letter from the king, but it is simply disinformation. And it is sent to him 
to get him to come down from the wall. Verse 9, for all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged with the work and it will not be done. Do you realize that in this world we live in, it is a world full of information, but a lot of that information is disinformation. It's not true. And the reason why, and I'm not tinfoil hat guy, okay, but I've noticed a lot of conspiracies that have been put out there have come to true recently. But anyway, that's beside the point. But a lot of stuff that is put out by our government and by our leaders is to scare us because if they can scare you, they can control you. If they can scare you, they can control you. If you don't believe that, just look at the last three years of stuff that we have put up with. Stuff that we didn't know. We've never been here before. And stuff they was telling us that was simply not true. But because we were afraid, we lined up and said, we will do what you have told us to do. See, because they had told us, you can't go to church, but you can go to Lowe's. And we said, that must be true. You've seen people that have, in band, that have got these bubbles over them, trying to play their instrument because they thought that somehow, some way, that was going to keep them from getting a virus. Good luck with that. You understand how a lot, and like I say, I'm not, I'm, I'm not here to fight with you on this kind of stuff. I'm just telling you that a lot of us have given in to so much stinking fear we are simply controlled by it and don't even realize it. We're simply controlled by it. We're controlled by fear because we have been told something that's not even true and yet we don't investigate it ourselves to see if it's really the facts or not. And so what Nehemiah realizes, what they're telling him about this so-called letter it's not really true. They're just trying to scare the people into saying, well, we better quit working because the king's coming after us. And the enemy still comes today with a battle in our minds telling us all kinds of things that do not line up with the word of God. And see... You've got to realize this, that when that thought comes in your mind, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, that we are to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. So if something comes in my mind, I've got to ask myself this question, is it scriptural? Is it biblical? And if it's not biblical, why would you accept it as true? Because a lot of people give more credence to what the enemy says than what God's word says. And so we see the enemy comes a time and time again trying to distract us, get our eyes off Jesus and get our eyes on 
other things. He tries to get us to believe the disinformation that's going on. And you know what? When you become fearful, not only does it control you, but it paralyzes you. Fear will paralyze you. It'll paralyze you. How do we know? I got a question. How in the world could a group of people that saw the Red Sea part, that could walk through dry... Listen, you, the ground right now is not even dry, and it rained three days ago. It's still wet. But yet, God parted the Red Sea. The Bible says they walked through on dry ground. It wasn't muddy. They saw Pharaoh's army drown in the Red Sea. Not only that, but when they got hungry, every single day they'd get up, guess what? There'd be some manna there. Every day. Their shoes didn't wear out. They had quail. They had everything. They got water from a rock for crying out loud. But yet when they got to the edge of the promised land, they sent some spies out and the spies came back and said, we can't do it because they're giants in the land. We're just simply grasshoppers in their sight. How do you do that? It's because in that moment, you give in to fear and quit walking by faith. And so you can be faithful on Sunday and be fearful on Monday. But when fear comes knocking, you've got to answer with the word of God. And so we see here, the enemy comes at them with distraction, with disinformation, and then the next thing, since that doesn't work because Nehemiah realizes, he sees through their plan, the next thing the enemy comes with is what I would call dishonesty. Look at verse 10. Even though distraction didn't work, even though disinformation didn't work, guess what? The enemy doesn't give up. He keeps coming back. Why? Because we will always be battling on this side. Okay? You will always be battling. i got bad news. You will always be battling on this side in some form or fashion. Okay? So he comes back to him with dishonesty. Look what he says in verse 10. When I entered the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel. Why didn't, I don't know why they didn't have names like Mike and Joe and Sam, but that's fine. Who was confined at home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you and they are coming to kill you at night. Hmm. This time the disinformation or the dishonesty came not from an enemy, a known enemy, but it came from a supposed prophet of God. Because after all, you would think that Nehemiah, when he heard the statement, let's go meet to the, in the house of God, that he would say, well, this must be of God. This must be what God wants me to do because after all, who wouldn't go to the house of God to have a meeting? But again, Nehemiah has discernment. Look at verse 11. He says, but I said, should a man like me flee, 
And could one such as I go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Now look what he says here. Next verse. Then I perceived that surely God had not sent him. But he uttered his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Listen, not everybody that claims to be speaking from God or for God is speaking for God. Just because you've got a suit on and a microphone in your hand doesn't mean that you are of God. See, because we got a lot of prophets, and I don't call them P-R-O-P-H-E-T-S, prophets. I call them P-R-O-F-I-T-S, prophets, whose whole game is to see how much money they can make. I'm going to give you this one. I didn't give this at the first service, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you, just be ready. We're coming up on the Easter season, so be ready for the old Passover shakedown that's going to be on your Trinity Broadcasting Network. That's going to tell you to send in $1,000 for your offering for Passover. That is garbage. Jesus Christ has fulfilled that stuff. You don't have to give $1,000 for your son to be healed. But yet these people are always talking about money. That's all they think about is money. And that's all they get you to think about is, if I just had more money, I could really be happy. There's nothing wrong with money, but when you love it, guess what? It becomes the root of all evil and when you seek after money that's all you want is money it plunges many people into destruction and let me say this I'm gonna say it again listen I'm here to tell you listen that when I was growing up in this in the church of God they would put the fear of God in everybody okay there's nothing wrong with that but how they did it was wrong in other words, when I was growing up, I was taught that you don't question anything. Because they would say, if you question something, you may be blaspheming the Holy Ghost. And so if somebody would do something in church, they'd say, oh, you, don't, don't, don't say anything like that. Don't, don't, don't. You, you'll be blaspheming the Holy Ghost if you question that. But let me tell you something. My Bible tells me, don't despise prophetic utterings, but also says this. You are to examine everything carefully. You understand that? Anything that's set up here, you're not to just accept it as gospel because I said it. You are to examine everything carefully. Because you know what? We got a lot of people in the church in general, they, got their, they love their prophets, but I've listened to some of them. I've listened to them because it's on tape. On video, for young people, that's 
digital. And I went back and watched what they said was going to happen in 2021 and 2022. And 75% of what they said didn't come to pass. You say, well, they said three things that got right. But listen, even a psychic on a good day can say something right. I kind of like my prophets. And I ain't mad. Listen, I ain't mad. I kind of like my prophets like Isaiah. That when Isaiah says something, he bats a thousand. I kind of like my prophets like Jeremiah. That when he says something, he bats a thousand. I kind of like them like John the Baptist. That when he says something, he bats a thousand. He doesn't say, well, I missed that one. It must be something else. No, what he said, it came to pass because he was saying what God had said. Let me give you an illustration of this from scriptures, okay? 1 Kings chapter 13. 1 Kings chapter 13. In 1 Kings chapter 13, God tells a prophet, a man of God, the NASB says, to go to Jeroboam and give him a message. And let's just pick up at verse 7 of 1 Kings chapter 13. When this prophet gives Jeroboam a message, God had told this prophet, here's what I want you to do. You go, you give this message, you don't eat anything, you don't drink anything, you go give this message and you go back home. Well, when he gives Jeroboam this message, the king said to the man of God, come home with me and refresh yourself and I will give you a reward. But the man of God said to the king, if you were to give me half your house, I would not go with you, nor would I eat bread or drink water in this place. For so it was commanded to me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall not eat bread, nor drink water, nor return by the way which you came. So this is what God tells him. You don't eat anything, you don't drink anything, nor do you go by the same way you came. Well, the king is saying, come eat bread. The prophet says, I can't because God told me not to. Well, as the prophet is going back his way, he goes to a town called Bethel. And in Bethel, there's this old prophet in Bethel. And we see in verse 15, this old prophet goes to this young prophet who's on his way back home. And the old prophet says to the young prophet that God has said, don't eat, don't drink anything on your way, go back home. He said, come home with me and eat bread. This is what the old prophet said to the young prophet. He said, this is the old prophet, I mean the young prophet, I cannot return with you, nor go with you, nor will I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. Now look at verse 17. Listen. For a command came to me by the word of the Lord, you shall eat no bread nor drink water there. Do not return by going the way which you came. And then the old prophet says this. I'm also a prophet just like you. And an angel spoke to me by word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you to your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. He lied to him. This guy said to the young prophet, An angel came to me and told me to tell you, Come on, let's eat, let's drink. What does the young prophet do? He believes that an angel really spoke to this guy 
And he goes back, he eats, he drinks, and when he does, all of a sudden God speaks through this old prophet and says, you disobeyed me. And on his way home, a lion eats that young prophet because he disobeyed the word of the Lord. Now listen, listen. I don't care if somebody comes to you and says an angel appeared to me last night and told me to tell you this. If it goes contrary to scripture, you take that, you throw it in the garbage and don't ever listen to it again. You understand that? Because there's a lot of false prophets out there. There's a lot of false deceivers out there. You've got people now saying that God said this is, no, this is okay now, it's no longer a sin. I'm here to tell you there's a Greek word for that, it's called baloney. It's baloney. Because when God says something, he doesn't take his word back. And we need to have discernment and realize, listen, that not everybody that says they're of God are of God. How do we know? How do we have discernment? I understand there's discernment of the Spirit. It's a gift of the Spirit. But listen, I'm going to say this. Every Christian should be discerning. And how does a Christian discern things? It's simply this. When you are dedicated to the Word of God, dedication to the Word of God leads to discernment, which leads to doing and delighting in the will of God. I'm going to say that again. Dedication to God's Word leads to discernment. If you were hired as a government official and your job was to try to find out counterfeit money, you would not study counterfeit money. You would study the real thing so much that it would be easy to identify the counterfeit. We don't go around studying false religions that much. What we should do is we should study this so much that when we hear something, that is contrary to scripture, it should immediately raise a red flag and says, that's not of God. I don't care if they told you you had Fruit Loops last Tuesday. They may get that right, but it's because you always eat Fruit Loops. They probably saw you at the grocery store getting a bag of Fruit Loops, okay? I'm just here to tell you, you cannot fall for that stuff. You've got to get into the Word of God because in the last days, there will be false teachers, there will be false Christ that will rise up and say, He's over there. Go find him over there. And all of a sudden, people go here and there and everywhere trying to find Jesus when he's right here in our midst. Conclusion. So we see the walls are almost finished. The only thing that's left is the gates. So the enemy comes at them with distraction, trying to get them off the wall, trying to get them to quit doing the work. That doesn't work because Nehemiah practices the sermon and realizes this is just a distraction. i got to keep my eye on the project that God has given me. Well, then the enemy comes out with disinformation. The king knows what you're doing. You're really rebelling. Well, Nehemiah again practices the sermon and says, no, this is not true information. It's made up information. It's something there that is deliberately sent to distract me and to get me off the wall. Then we see dishonesty. Somebody being, and think about it like this. The first the first attack was like a serpent trying to distract them. Come meet with us. The second attack 
was not necessarily like a serpent. It was like a lion. We're going to kill you. The third attack was like an angel of light. That's the three ways the devil appears. Like a serpent, like a lion, like an angel of light. And all three times the enemy comes, Nehemiah sees through the lies. He sees through the disinformation. He sees through the distraction. And he does what? Verse 15. So the wall was completed. In 52 days, the wall was completed. Verse 16, when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence for they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. And let me say this, the enemy of your soul is trying to get you distracted. He'll bring all kind of things in your life, maybe good things to get your eyes off Jesus. But why should you quit doing what God has called you to do? No, finish the work. Listen, and I may have said this earlier, I can't, I'm, I'm losing my mind, I think, in some aspects, but I'm going to say it again if I said it in this service. can't remember. Fathers. Fathers. Don't get distracted by the things of this world. Your job, first and foremost, is to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That is the most important work you can do. See, if I spend all my time, and I, listen, there's nothing wrong with going across the world, spreading the gospel, we need to. But if I spend all my time going across the globe and my own family's dying and going to hell, what have I gained? What have I gained? Mothers, that is the greatest work you could ever do is be a godly mother. Do not fall for the lies of the world that says you're nothing if you don't get out of the house. You're nothing if you don't make six Don't fall for the lies of the world. The greatest calling you have as a father, as a mother, is to raise your children up to serve the Lord. That's your first and foremost goal, is to do that. That's the greatest work you can do, and I'm going to challenge you. Don't get distracted. Don't fall for the lies. Don't come off your wall. There's three words we need to all get into our system this morning. And those three words are this, I press on. Notice, we will always be building. We will always be battling. But in the midst of our building, in the midst of our battling, we need to say, I press on. When you feel like giving up, I press on. When you're discouraged, I press on. When you're bored, I press on. When you're tired, I press on. When it's hard, I press on. When you're not feeling it, I press on. I want to finish the work that God has called me to do because it matters as you're coming and playing. Every prayer you pray, guess what? It matters. Every person you've encouraged, guess what? It matters. Every time you support a missionary, guess what? It matters. Everything you do, it matters. Don't come off your wall. Keep building. Keep battling. Because when they did the work with God's help, 
they finished it. They finished it. And I'm going to say this. Finish. Finish. You know, I think it was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow that said this. Great is the art of beginning, but even greater is the art of ending. Because somewhere between beginning and ending, we've all felt like giving up. Anybody can start, but with God's help, we can finish. And we got to realize it's not going to be easy. There's going to be battles we're going to have to fight. There's going to be building we're going to have to do. But when it's all said and done, we need to realize that we've got to press on and finish because there's a heaven to be gained. There's a reward to be received. There's a finish line to cross. There's a calling to be answered. There's an enemy to be defeated. There's a church to be built. There's a harvest to be reaped. And there's a victory to be won. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't give in to the distraction of the world. Don't fall for the disinformation or dishonesty. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And with God's help, we will do great things. And we will finish what he's called us to do. Can we stand this morning?